This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. Good morning. You guys can grab a seat. Uh, my name is Kevin, and uh, it's just so nice to be here with you today. Uh, I just scared our sound guy pretty bad about two minutes ago. I was in the back of the room, and I was getting my praise on. I was worshiping God back there, and someone came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know you're on after this song. I said, I know. I'll, I'll get there, but God deserves this time now. So sorry, uh, tech team and sound team. We're here. We're in the moment. We're ready. Uh, we're talking about money, but more than money, we're talking about freedom, right? That's the heart of what we're talking about. The Bible uh, speaks over and over again about this story of freedom, that God created humanity to live free, to live fully engaged with him and connected in this passionate, personal uh, relationship that would impact and affect every area of who we are. That's how God created us. And yet uh, there were these cycles of slavery, both uh, internal slavery, slavery to the things that would hold us down and drag us down, and a literal slavery of people who were slaves uh, to other nations, to foreign nations. And this is the story of the Bible, a story of freedom and slavery. The scripture says that God created you to be free, free to experience purpose and passion, free to experience all that life would have to offer, free to have a life that matters. Uh, and yet, sometimes we get stuck in slavery. And one of the biggest things that enslaves us is money. And so we're talking about money, but really we're talking about choosing freedom, choosing to connect with God. Now, I want to make one thing uh, clear. Money in itself is not a bad thing. And I didn't say that last week, but I just want to say that money is not a bad thing. Money is an inanimate object. It is paper or coin. Uh, It cannot hurt you unless you get a paper cut or someone throws it at you. But money in and of itself is not bad, right? Uh, If you want to throw money at me, I'll take my chances. So uh, go ahead. But it's what happens with money that can be bad. It can become the thing that we find our identity in, our security in, our protection in, our uh, assurance in. Uh, And it gives us the illusion that we are independent, that we are on our own, that we can actually walk through life without ever uh, really needing anyone. And that includes God. And that's the really scary thing. Uh, Our county, Sonoma County, is one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. I don't think it's an accident or a mistake that um, we are also one of the counties uh, where the most people would say we don't need God. There is no God, and if there is a God, he doesn't speak into our lives. Money has made us independent. We think that we can do anything on our own. And so why would we need a God to uh, engage with us, to meet us, to to heal us, to care for us, to need us? I think there's a a big connection there, Uh, and that scares me. That scares me because there is a God, and ultimately we will all come uh, to a place where God uh, invites us to make some choices. Last week, uh, we studied a story that Jesus told about a guy who, um, he built these storehouses, and he put all of his grain in the storehouses, and then uh, the storehouses got full, and so he decided, instead of being content with what he had, to tear down his storehouses, to build bigger storehouses, and then to get even more grain, even more stuff, This guy believed that the purpose of life was the acquisition of wealth, the acquisition of possessions. And in an instant, his life was taken from him, and God left him with the question, was it worth it? 
Is that what life was really all about? And Jesus answers that story with a resounding no. In verse 23, he said, life is more than food, the body more than clothes. So he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all this other stuff will be given to you as well. The issue was not with the money. It was with the man's view of money, the way he used his money, his lack of contentment with what he had. You see, in the end, this man's desire for money became his God. It became the thing that he thought would save him, would protect him, would would assure that he would have a full life and a good life. And then in an instant, his life changed. He uh, died, and he was left with no one to take his stuff, no one to take his money. And all the storehouses in the world could not protect him uh, from the end. Remember, friends, uh, and I don't want to be morbid, I want us to have a nice light morning, but we need to understand the reality that God has not promised us our next breath, right? We could have all the money in the world and all the stuff. We could have a great life, great family, great job, everything going great, and then we could be driving down the 101, get in a car accident, and have everything change, have everything change. Thank you. Just like that. Uh, this is not as impactful when I snap over here, because you can't hear it. Um, but it, it could be gone, right? And money wouldn't protect us from that. Although we think that if we have it, we're safe, we're good, we're okay. And if we don't, then we're in trouble. But the reality is money cannot protect us from that. So we have to ask ourselves the question, where do we put our hope? Where do we put our trust? Where do we put our, our faith? Is it in money or is it in God? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. There comes a point in our lives where we have to answer that question. Who will we serve, God or money? My hope today is that God uh, would draw you into a passionate relationship with him. And if you have a passionate relationship with him, that it will become more passionate. Remember, uh, God does not want to get us to a place where we just know him or know about him and have some sort of kind of weak relationship with him where we're like roommates who just kind of coexist. God wants to form a passionate relationship with him that becomes more passionate every day, where we engage with him more deeply tomorrow than we did today, more deeply the day after that than we did the day before. And so my hope today is that you are drawn into an ever-increasingly passionate relationship with God, where you know him and you're known by him, and you can say without a doubt, my hope rests in God. When that becomes our reality, uh, I promise that the outcome is that it will change everything. It will change the way that you view uh, your very life and the world around you and the people you work with and your family. It will change everything. And so I just want you to engage deeply with God today. Don't miss it. Uh, Don't miss what he would say to you this series is about freedom. Let's pray, and we'll jump in to Luke 19. Lord, would you uh, open us up to the reality of your presence? We often pray that you would uh, come and meet us here, but that assumes, God, that you're not already here, and we believe that you are here. And so we don't ask that you would come and meet us. We ask that we would be aware of your presence in this place aware of your reality in our lives, uh, aware of uh, the life that you have for us, a life of purpose and passion and uh, vision and um, a life that matters. 
Would you keep us soft to the things that you would say to us today? Would you uh, comfort us where we need comfort? Would you challenge us where we need challenge? Uh, Would you uh, be working so powerfully in our lives that uh, we couldn't help but leave here changed people? And would we encounter you, the living God? Because if we do not encounter you today, this is all worthless. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 19 starts out, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. That's tough. Uh, So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Uh, We need to know a few things to set the scene. Jesus is walking through uh, Jericho and he's actually on his way to Jerusalem. We're getting close to the last week of Jesus' life. It's towards the end of his ministry. Next Sunday we'll celebrate Palm Sunday, which is the time when Jesus actually went into Jerusalem for the last week of his life, and he's going there right now. So we're on this journey with Jesus as he goes towards the end of his ministry, the end of his life. He knows what's coming. Later we'll celebrate communion. He knows that he will be crucified, nailed to a cross, die, and then God will raise him again. And he has this encounter with this man on his way. Now Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, which means he's a Jewish man who worked for the Romans. And the Romans were the occupying force of the day. The Jews did not like the Romans because the Romans were ruling over them. Again, it's a story of freedom and slavery, and to them this felt a lot like slavery. And Zacchaeus made his money uh, by taxing, and in many cases overtaxing, his own people. He was a sellout. He was a traitor. He was working for the enemy in order to make money. He sold his soul for the almighty buck. He sold out his own people to make some cash. See, tax collectors were not well-liked by the Jewish community. They were on the same level as um, brothel owners or prostitutes, murderers, robbers. No one liked tax collectors. This is not a guy you want to hang out with. Uh, and verse 3 says that this man wanted to see Jesus, which means he probably doesn't know him yet, but he's heard about him. Jesus is kind of a big deal at this point. People know him. They've heard about him. He's done a lot of stuff. He's healed people. He's spoken truth. He's called people out on some of the lies they've been believing. He's been setting people free, and so Zacchaeus wants to meet this guy, and verse 5 goes on to say, uh, when Jesus reached that spot— oh, hold on. Um, He's short, by the way. We don't want to miss that. which means he's less than like five feet tall because the average height was shorter then. And so he's like a little guy. Uh, and no, no, no disrespect, no shame uh, to people who are like vertically challenged. But this is, you can resonate with Zacchaeus. He is short. He's a short, short man. Um, and so he climbs a tree because there were no stools back then. So uh, my wife uses a stool to get things off high shelves. Zacchaeus used a tree uh, verse 5, when Jesus reached that spot, he reached the tree, uh, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. You look silly. Uh, I must stay at your house. So he came down at once, and he welcomed Jesus gladly, and all the people began to mutter, this man has gone to be the guest of sinners. This is scandalous. I cannot overemphasize this Uh, enough. Uh, It's the end of Jesus' ministry. He has been healing and teaching and doing amazing things, and people are following him, and and they're coming to experience God, and now scandal strikes. 
You see, any house that a tax collector went into, even if it was just to collect taxes, that house became unclean, which meant that the people in that house could not go and worship God because they believed that God was completely uh, holy and perfect, and anything apart from that could not enter into God's presence. And so just for a tax collector to come to your house meant that you were unclean for a certain period of time and could not go to worship God uh, until you did some rituals to get back into uh, a place where you could go and be with God. But Zacchaeus' house is especially unclean because he lives there, and so it never gets back to that place where he could go and, and, and really engage with God. And a, a Jewish teacher entering a tax collector's house would like call his whole mission, his whole ministry, into question. Uh, we thought this guy was, was smart. We thought that he heard from God, and yet he's going into a, a sinner's house, a tax collector's house. That's a big deal. You, you just don't do that. Uh, we thought that this guy could heal people, and yet he doesn't even know that he's going to be with a chief tax collector right now. Uh, this is, it's like um, a pastor who you've loved and respected for years, who's done amazing things. All of a sudden, you find out that his whole ministry, uh, he's been having an affair. And when he gets called out on it, he doesn't like uh, turn away from that. He says, well, that's just me. Deal with it right? Jesus doesn't apologize for this. He says, this is what I'm going to do. It's that kind of scandal. It calls the whole ministry into question. And yet Jesus says, I must go and be with you. I must stay with you today. See, Jesus knew who he was dealing with. He was not under any false illusions uh, about Zacchaeus, and he was compelled to go and be with him. It's not like he heard the people talking. Zacchaeus is a sinner. And he turned to them and said, oh my gosh, wait a minute. This is Zacchaeus the tax collector? Oh, I thought this was Zacchaeus the kindergarten teacher. Oh, okay, thanks, man. Is my face red? You know, like I, I made a mistake there. Uh, I thought this was like a really nice guy who played with kids and stuff. Oh, this is, this is Zacchaeus the tax collector. Boy, thanks for saving me from that. No, he knew who Zacchaeus was. He knows uh, who you are. It's not just what he did then, it's what he does now. Jesus knew everything Zacchaeus had ever done, and yet he wanted to be with him anyway. He knows everything that you have done, and he wants to be with you here, now. If you're at a good place, he wants to meet you there. If you're at a really hard place, he wants to, to meet you there. He wants to celebrate when you celebrate and grieve when you grieve. He knows who you are, and he loves you. He wants to transform your life as you walk with him. And see, friends, when we begin to grasp that reality, it will change every part of our lives. When we begin to grasp the reality that Jesus would go through scandal just to be with this one guy because he loved him and he knew him, and that would change Zacchaeus' life, and that should and can change your life. Look what happens in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, which the answer is yes, you probably have cheated at least someone out of something, um, I will pay back four times that amount. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and came to save that which was lost. A number of years ago, I knew a very beautiful young woman who fell in love with a, a moderately attractive young man uh, named Kevin. And he was back then, uh, moderately. Um, and she lived in Wisconsin, and he lived in California, and he was in ministry. Uh, and she was in ministry, and he ended his evenings around 9 or 10 at night, California time. And then they would have multi-hour conversations because they were young and in love. You know the story, right? Uh, it's like 11 or 12 
it was Maria's time, and, and I would call her up at like 10 and say, hey, it's good to talk to you. How was your day? Let's talk about life. You know, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are your hopes and dreams? You know, all that stuff that you do when you're young and in love. And we'd talk for like two hours every night. Uh, and then she'd go to bed, like 2 o'clock, Wisconsin time. And then she'd get up at, at 6 or 6.30, and she'd go to work the next day. Um, sleep no longer had the priority in my wife's life. Um, talking to this new love had the priority in her life. Uh, her, her whole uh, life was turned upside down, and she would do anything just to, uh, just to talk to me, which was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> why? Because that love that she had found was changing her, was transforming her, was somehow empowering her to live on less than eight hours of sleep, which I would then sleep in the next morning, so it was okay for me. Uh, in fact, she called me three or four mornings at 6 a.m. her time, and uh, I accidentally, uh, well, I hung up one time on a, and got an earful the next night as we talked uh, about my priorities needing to form with hers. Um, well, that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, Zacchaeus has one experience with Jesus. One. One encounter. And it changes his life. It's interesting that Jesus never says anything about money. Did you, did you see anything about money in there? No. He just comes to be with Zacchaeus, to meet Zacchaeus, to free Zacchaeus from uh, the chains and the bondage that were around him, from the things that were holding him down from experiencing a relationship with God. He came to bring freedom in that, and it changed every area of Zacchaeus' life. He gave away half of what he owned, and he paid back four times the amount to anyone he had cheated, which would have left Zacchaeus with very, very little. But that wasn't that important to Zacchaeus because God was changing his value systems. Now we need to know that for Zacchaeus, money was a deeply spiritual commodity. When he encountered God, it influenced the way that he viewed his money. And so I have a question for us. Have you encountered God so powerfully that he's changing your priorities around money? Are you experiencing God in a way that you're willing to do anything for that relationship? Because it didn't start by him doing something for God to get into God's good graces. It started by God encountering him when he was up in a tree looking silly. Uh, it started by God meeting him and loving him and, and drawing him into God's presence, but it transformed his view of, of money. Are you experiencing freedom with God? Is that, uh, that freedom that you're experiencing with God drawing you into a passionate relationship? And, and are you giving God the space to work in all areas of your life, including your money? Now, I want to be clear, God is not after your money. God is after your heart. Uh, but one of the clearest ways to know where our heart is to, is to see where we put our money. Uh, you can say, I love God. I would do anything for God. Whatever he asks me to do, I will do it. But if our money does not reflect that, then that's just a lie. Let's be honest. Uh, he's not after your money. He's after your heart. But where your heart goes, uh, or your money goes, your heart will follow. Uh, like the picture we have on the front of your programs, let's put our money where our mouth is. I've been waiting to use that line for two weeks, and finally I found a place to use it. Have you encountered God in a way that is actually transforming your priorities around money? The great thing about life is that it offers us plenty of opportunities to experience God 
and plenty of opportunities to be generous. That's one of the realities of life. Uh, when God's people are going into uh, the land that he had promised them way back in the book of Deuteronomy, the very beginning of the Bible, uh, in chapter 15, this is what God says to the people. Deuteronomy 15, 11. There will always be poor people in your land. Therefore, and the therefore is there uh, for the fact that because there will always be people in your land who are poor, he says, I command you, be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and the needy in your lands. The promise of God is that there will always be people with less and always be people with more. And we know that's true. We know that's right. We can look around and see that. So Jesus says, be, uh, be open-handed towards your brothers, other, other Christians, other people who uh, know God or are in this community with you, and be open-handed towards the poor in your land, which may or may not be people who uh, believe in God at any particular moment. I heard a preacher say one time, you can never shake hands with a clenched fist. Uh, you can never invite people into a community where they would experience true love and true friendship and experience the true God if you have a clenched fist. And the early followers of Jesus picked up on this idea. They believed that one of the most important things uh, that they could do to show their love for God was to give to the poor. Uh, they actually thought that the poor had more to offer them than they had to offer the poor because the poor in their community gave them a chance to give to God. Because they believed that they weren't just giving to people, they were actually giving to God when they gave to the poor. And so they were glad for poor people in their community because people in their community who had less gave them the opportunity to be generous. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to a young pastor and he says to him, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their wealth, uh, put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly pro- provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command the people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. Verse 19, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul gives us two commands and a promise. The first command, do good, be rich in good deeds. What does it look like for us to be rich in good deeds? Uh, I think every time we come into contact with someone who has a need, we begin to ask ourselves some questions. Uh, Where is God here? The Bible says that God is everywhere. And so where is God in this situation? We would ask ourselves things like, what can I do to partner with God in this situation? Who can I connect this person with who can help them? Remember, I said one of the issues with money is that it makes us fiercely independent. The world tells us independence is good, but God says that interdependence is actually better. Uh, Independence tells us that I should be able to do it on my own, and if, if I have uh, abundance, if I'm on the rich side, then I should be able to meet everyone's need. But the reality is, no one in here can meet everyone's need. We just can't do it. And so God calls us to interdependence, uh, which begins to ask questions like, who do I know who I could hook that person up with who could meet their need? Uh, who do I know who could meet this person's need? So I'm here, someone comes to me, they have a need, I can't meet that. Let's say they need their roof fixed because it's leaking. I can't fix roofs, but I know a couple roofers in the church and they could probably fix a roof, right? Or uh, someone's car breaks down. I know nothing about cars. Look at me. I am not a car guy. Um, 
But I know a lot of mechanics who could fix cars, right? Interdependence begins to ask questions like, who could I hook that person up with who could meet that need? Uh, Maybe someone comes to you and they just do not know how to financially get their life together. They need an action plan. If you're like me, you know nothing about money, about numbers, right? That's just, it's not my strong suit. I barely made it through, uh, through math in college just to pass the next thing. Um, but I know like 10 financial planners in this church who I could say, well, go talk to this person. They can help you figure out an action plan. They can set you up for success. Uh, interdependence. When we begin to do that, uh, we see a powerful expression of what Paul is talking about when he says, be rich in good deeds. In our community, we are rich in good deeds. Each of us is one person, but we have connections to thousands of people who could meet needs. If we begin to ask questions like, who can I connect this person with who could meet their need? Uh, The second thing that Paul says is be generous and be willing to share. Generosity requires that we see the world the way God sees the world. Generosity requires that we see people the way that God sees people. Generosity requires that we encounter God powerfully and let God change our priorities around money and around stuff. Friends, having a relationship with God has the potential uh, to make us extravagantly generous. Has the potential to make us extravagantly generous because we know that life is not all about money. Life is about people connecting with God. Life is about relationships. Life is not about money Paul says, share with those in need, because in the process, God will transform your heart to make you a more loving, generous person. In the process of sharing with those in need, you will become more the person that God created you to be. Shane Claiborne, the guy who I attempted to quote last week, had another quote that I loved. He said, if you cannot give your possessions away They are not really your possessions. You are their possession. It's deep, I know. I know. Uh, I didn't say it. I'm just reading it. Uh, If you can't give your possessions away, they are not your possessions. You are their possession. And that's really true. Think with me for a minute. When was the last time you gave something away? Not like 50 cents, but like something that you really felt, something that you really liked something that, that was yours, that, that you really took pride in. When was the last time you just gave it away to somebody who had less, who, who needed it? If we can't give things away or if we don't give things away, if you can't remember when that time was, maybe God wants to work in your heart in the area of generosity. Maybe God wants to uh, make you a more generous person because you are a slave to your stuff. It owns you, even though you think that you own it. So Paul says, Be generous. Be willing to give your stuff away. And the promise is this. He says, you will take hold of the life that is truly life. Take hold of the life that is truly life. Mark Twain once said, let us endeavor so to live that when we die, even the undertaker will be sorry. When we put our money in its rightful place, we begin to live a life that impacts other people. A life that has Um, far-reaching value, a life that has purpose. So you have to ask, and I have to ask, what's it going to look like for me to be generous today, this week, this month, this year, to grow in that? Because, friends, God wants us to have freedom. God wants us to have a life that actually makes a difference. 
God wants us to be extravagantly generous. If you were to die tomorrow, would people say that you're extravagantly generous? That you are mildly generous? That you're stingy? I mean, what would people say about you based on your life? Let's have a life of purpose. God's inviting us to be generous to the extent that it actually impacts people. And I've been thinking uh, recently, this week, um, I don't know what it's going to look like this month. I don't know what it's going to look like this year. I think God knows what he wants each of us to do to become more generous. I I think God knows how he wants to grow our hearts, um, and ours is to walk out in faithfulness. But one thing that I believe is that as we take action steps today, it cements this truth in our lives. So I have an idea of what we could do today to be more generous. Uh, Today is Sandal Sunday, flip-flop Sunday. I hope you brought your sandals to give uh, to the Mexico team so that they could take the sandals uh, out to Mexico on their mission trip in two weeks. But why stop there? What if we gave the very shoes off our feet this morning? What if we had a barefoot revolution of generosity and we just left our shoes here at the church and said, you know what? I have five, 10, 20, 90 pair of shoes at home. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Some of you guys have a lot of shoes. Uh, you know men in their shoes, man. You know men in their shoes. Hey, we, uh, that's one of our big issues. Uh, I know I have probably 10 pair of shoes at home, sandals, whatnot. Uh, I'm not going to miss my shoes, even though I love these shoes. Um, so I'm just going to leave them. And I might be the only person today that does that. Uh, but I'm going to leave my shoes here. Uh, I'm going to leave them out by the TGA table at the end of the service. And I invite you to do that with me as a simple act of cementing this in our lives. Remember, if we cannot give our possessions away, we do not own our possessions. Our possessions own us. So if hearing that, you think, but these are my nice shoes. I wore them to church. Uh, maybe God wants to free you from that. Maybe God wants you to to have dominion over your shoes. I I don't know. If you keep your shoes on, it's okay. I'm not going to look down on you. But do something today. Do something today to cement the idea of generosity in your life. Now, these shoes uh, will not go to Mexico because they'll be too heavy because we're going to have probably, you know, 20 or 30,000 pair at the end of the day. Uh, (laughs) um, But I'll, I'll give them out this next couple weeks to folks in our community who don't have shoes, to homeless shelters, uh, to people on the streets, so that people will literally be blessed in this community because you, uh, you sacrificially gave and were generous with your shoes. People will literally walk a mile in your shoes this month uh, because you gave your shoes away, and they will experience God in a very real way because you sacrificed a little. Um, if you don't do that, do something. We need to cement this truth. God wants us to be generous people extravagantly generous to the extent that it impacts our lives, that we live in freedom from stuff and money, to the extent that it impacts the lives of those around us. So like I say, if you want to do that, uh, before you leave, just leave them at the, uh, the great adventure table out in the lobby, um, and I will collect them at the end of the day, and I will give them out to people who do not have shoes. Um, join me in prayer, and let's invite God to cement this stuff in our hearts. God, would you uh, not let this go in one ear and out the other? Uh, Would you cement uh, this truth in our lives, that you created us to live in freedom, that that freedom comes ultimately from you, and that that freedom invites us to live extravagantly generous lives towards others? Would you be um, forming our hearts 
in our souls and our minds in such a way that we would see it a gift to serve other people, to give to other people, uh, that it would not burden us, but it would actually free us from the tyranny of stuff. God, we know that you're not after our money, but ultimately you are after our hearts and you want to use our money to get to our hearts. So God, we want to give you our money in order to get that out of the way so that you can get to our hearts today. Lord, whatever is collected this morning, would you use it to bless people that they would not only have shoes on their feet, but would have uh, a knowledge of who you are based on the fact that this little Christian community uh, has taken this little step uh, of generosity this morning. And so, Lord, we pray over all the sandals that are given, all the shoes that are given, um, both to go to Mexico and to go to our community in Petaluma. Uh, would people experience you through this simple act? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.